Her two grandfathers had taken her for a high-speed ride in an antique, gasoline-powered Ford pickup. She remembered being terrified sitting on Grandpa Austin's lap as he wrenched the steering wheel and stomped the pedals, manhandling the big loud machine along a winding country road, while Grandpa Rudolph bellowed from the passenger seat for them to go faster. Such childhood terrors had been overcome long ago, replaced by the more abiding fears of adulthood. Besides, she'd been assured by E-Tech's security that the driver was highly skilled. Nick's skepticism of security notwithstanding, he and his companion came across as professionally competent. The bodyguards monitored police and EMS channels through their attaboys. Frosted eyeglasses fed them real-time data from the vehicle's sensors and high-altitude drones that scanned the route ahead for potential threats. They carried projectile and energy weapons. In the words of Bull Idwicky, the blustery security chief, The men trained to protect you are highly skilled professionals ready to address any operational crisis. But Bell had learned from some of her contacts in security that operational crisis was a code phrase used by the department for situations that excluded the presence of paratois assassins. Translated, it meant that in the event the royal caste gave the order to have her killed, the bodyguards would be as useless as everyone else in stopping it. We have to do something about that. She wasn't thinking specifically about the attack on headquarters. Realistically, she knew that if the royal caste wanted her dead, little could be done to prevent it. Assassinations, pa killings in Nick's parlance, as well as ma attacks, such as the biotoxin that had devastated Kazon City, were nearly impossible to prevent. Still, pa and ma attacks represented a minority of paratois-related incidents. Most of the conflicts involved some form of open battle, often with a company or battalion of soldiers pitted against a single assassin. Such firefights inevitably resulted in a terrible loss of human life, and even then, the paratois usually escaped. That led to the demoralizing perception among the citizenry that the assassins were invulnerable. Now that she was the director, she vowed to surreptitiously steer some of Etec's vast resources toward the goal of finding a way to change that perception. ETA is ten minutes, ma'am, the driver announced. Thank you. She was heading to the Imperius, the new convention center south of downtown. The E-Tech fundraiser, aimed at soliciting new patrons, had been planned months before Director Witherstone's assassination. Bell would give opening remarks before introducing Dr. Emanuel as the main speaker. She should be using the ride to fine-tune those remarks, yet she found her thoughts again turning to this morning's encounter with Nick. What he'd revealed had extraordinary ramifications. She still found it difficult to accept that the royals wanted her running E-Tech. If true, she couldn't fathom their reasoning. Even more disturbing was that the ash Ock apparently could function as two individuals rather than just halves of a single person. But most surprising of all were the annoying notions churning through her since seeing Nick, notions that had nothing whatsoever to do with her advancement or paratois assassins. He didn't compliment me on my attire. In preparation for their meeting, she'd worn the only A-line brocade dress she owned. She'd also donned a pair of slingback high heels. 
They were the same type of shoes she'd worn the day of the attack, and which had earned his praise as she huddled in the closet. But he didn't utter a single compliment, not a word. That she was dwelling on such things was absurd. She was acting like some preteen girl hyperventilating over a first crush. She forced herself to view the situation logically. Why on earth would she expect praise from Nick? And why would she want it? He wasn't her type. He came from a different time, a different world. He had a street savvy that was almost unheard of within E-Tech. The two of them had little in common. She couldn't deny that Nick's combination of keen intelligence and shadowy skills was enticing. She'd always been attracted to such men. But he wasn't exactly in the same financial sphere as Belle, as well as her family and friends, most of whom were quite well off. Despite her egalitarian beliefs, she knew that romantic entanglements between those who came from...